Sanders. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Well, welcome everyone to the Dr. Hedberg Show. This is Dr. Hedberg, and I'm excited today to have Dr. Shannon South on the show. We've known each other for quite a while now here in Asheville, and Dr. South, she's also known as the Joy Doctor and has a tremendous amount of, of information and expertise on trauma, healing trauma, and really overcoming things like anxiety and, and depression and things like that. So we're going to really dig in today and um, you, know, you should learn a lot from her. And uh, we'll talk about things that if you're a patient of mine, you know, we talk a lot about, but of course, these are things that are outside of my area of expertise. And that's why I wanted to have her on today so that we could really dig into that. So Dr. South, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm honored to be here. I've been following your work for some time and watching your amazing um, healing and supporting of other people. So I'm thrilled to be a part of that. Great. Before we, we jump in, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're focusing on these days? Absolutely. I am a licensed professional counselor and an author, and I do trainings for therapists on bringing more soul and spirit into their practice. But I also have been working with trauma and spiritual psychology for over 20 years. And I, of course, as you know, we get into the field sometimes because of our own personal journeys. And when I was in my 20s, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a big word, but it happens. And mm-hmm. so I got into some healing practices. I, I think actually my therapist told me, go meditate, learn some meditation. And I was like, well, that sounds better than medication. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, I thought I would give it a try because I had tried medication, you know, and it worked to a point, but I uh, really didn't like the side effects. So I was pretty determined to get off of medication and So I got into meditation and had an amazing healing experience around my anxiety disorder, and I never had a panic attack again. Mm. So that kind of informed my whole journey, really. And I went back and got my doctorate in what they call transpersonal psychology, Mm -hmm. which is a field of study that's more holistic and really integrates the mind, body, and the spirit for helping people heal through trauma and into more joy. So that's a bit about me. So do you think that was the reason why you started working with trauma or, or were there other reasons as well? Well, sure. I mean, I definitely had a childhood with some trauma in it. And I believe that that, you know, kind of fed my heart. I thought, gosh, I really want to help these people. And I really want to understand what's happening to my family members that are going through addiction or depression or anxiety. And then um, also understand my own issues of healing through my own trauma. And so I think between those two things, that really fueled the fire for me to have a deep, deep desire to share what really works with people and really getting to the crux of 
healing because, you know, there's so many avenues and so many ways to look at healing, but I really landed on an integrative approach that is very effective. And I'm very happy about that. Mm -hmm. And you have a, a personal story and how you overcame anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Did you want to share some of that? Well, you know, I shared a little bit about the meditation practice I began, but I was actually sitting in my uh, apartment. I'll never forget this day. <laughs> I was sitting in front of, in my apartment in front of my window meditating. And I was, you know, I was a reluctant meditator. I was really not, I was like, this is so stupid, but I'll do it anyway. And um, I really was sitting one day and I started to feel my panic symptoms reoccur. They were coming up. My chest was heavy. My, I was getting this heat flash and I was feeling scared again. And all of a sudden, you know, I just cried out like, you know, something help me, please. I'm doing all I know to do, you know, please help me. And this kind of wave of joy and peace and love just overcame my being. Um, and kind of filled up the cells in my body, it felt like. And at that moment, I think shifted. You know, in the transpersonal psychology world, we talk about consciousness. And I believe something shifted in my consciousness. Whatever I was attached to, the trauma, the story, the energy, the emotion, the whole experience of the trauma I'd had before, something just removed and left for good. And so when I, when I got studying transpersonal psychology, they call that a peak experience and it's available to all of us. You know, we all have the potential for these peak experiences and our healing lining up in a way that we can have permanent release from suffering in certain patterns that we've had a long time even. So mm -hmm. it's a pretty neat thing to know that that's possible. Right. And that's one of the the real bedrocks of a lot of the patients I see trauma is really usually underlying a lot of their health issues. And I think a lot of people think of trauma as a single event, but it could also be just ongoing stress. So some of the yes. common things I'll see are if I'll see women and they had a father who was just completely emotionally detached mm. in their entire childhood or a mother who was overly critical, you know, nothing was ever good enough. There's, you know, many examples, but I think we could consider that trauma, even though it's not a single event. Uh, so let's, let's get into that a little bit as far as what you think are, are some of the best approaches for healing trauma. What do you like to use? Well, I think you're absolutely right. Carl Jung called those repetitive patterns. He said they turn into complexes, you know, the psychiatrist Carl Jung. And um, we get complexes, uh, trauma complexes, because of certain repetitive patterns that happen to us. And so we want to overcome and heal those because we grow and change. And we want our stories and our emotions and our attitudes and our stress reactivity. We want that to heal and change depending on what's going on with us now. We don't want the past running the future. And it will unless we begin to be more conscious and really look at that. So that's where I became um, passionate about mindfulness-based stress reduction. That's one of the approaches I use for trauma because we define trauma as too much, too soon, too fast. It's like it either happened all too, you know, like a whole buffet tray got thrown on your head at once and it takes time to unwind all of that. Or it's like this chronic long-term thing, as you mentioned, and it just becomes too much of the same thing over and over. 
So as we unwind trauma, mindfulness-based stress reduction uh, is one of the approaches that I find to be extremely helpful. And um, then I use also several spiritual psychology techniques. And I'll also use a, a, an approach called EMDR, which many people have, may have heard of, which is known for a trauma release in the system by bilateral stimulation. So there's lots of ways, but those are three very effective ways to approach trauma mm -hmm. from a healing perspective. Right, right. And that's something that, you know, to any of my patients who are listening, you know, we've, we talk a lot about this and uh, the connections to their current health issues. Mm -hmm. And this is usually the area that is the most overlooked. I think a lot of people focus on food, which is, of course, really important. Yeah. Uh, certain supplementation and, and things like that, getting the right amount of exercise and sleep. But it's, I mean, all of that's important, but I, I really don't think that if, if people do not really face these unresolved traumas, I don't think they're really going to get to where they want to go. So why, why do you think it's so important to heal unresolved trauma for overall health? Well, gosh, that's a whole workshop in itself. But my, my first thoughts on that is, you know, Candace Pert, she was a scientist. She wrote a book called Molecules of Emotion. And she talked about the emotions live in the cells of your body. And, you know, they're even finding out now that certain emotional patterns can turn on and off DNA responses that are generational patterns that people in, have had in their families for years. Mm -hmm. And so we have more control than we think and less control, you know, in the sense of like mindfulness, um, the approach of mindfulness focuses a lot on allowing and letting go so that we can heal these patterns because we become conscious of them. And like you said, I think it, it, we do repress all of this because it's so, we don't know what to do with it. So it's like, what do I do with all these patterns? What do I do with all this emotion? What do I do with all this underground trauma? And, um, and why is that related to my body? You know, we're a whole being. And so it is, I mean, if that fight and flight response is, is activated underlying, you know, they show over time, it breaks down the system with, you know, immune diseases, heart attack, chronic mental health issues. So you have this chronic underlying trauma pattern that's activating the alarm system in your body and brain, then your body and brain is on overload underlying your happy eating or whatever you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's still activated and we want to deactivate that overload trauma response so that you can have another response instead of the reactive response. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I try to explain to patients, uh, you know, a little bit about psychoneuroimmunology and mm. the gut brain axis mm -hmm. and uh, all those things, you know, tie into the trauma. And again, I don't think that you can really balance those without without addressing the trauma. So you'd brought up, uh, you know, these these traumas that are existing for a long time. And I've been reading a lot about ACEs lately, the adverse mm -hmm. childhood experiences. Yeah. And you listed a bunch of things that that are connected with those, like heart disease and cancer and mental illness. Mm -hmm. and things like that. So people have this ongoing low-grade inflammation and, uh, you know, no matter how well they eat, no matter what supplements they take and all those kinds of things, 
that inflammation is still going to be there unless, unless they address these issues. So why don't we, why don't we jump in and give a few uh, specifics for people? So how can people learn to really get out of this uh, stress reactivity loop that they're in and into a more of a relaxation type response? Absolutely. Well, when they put people into a mindfulness space stress reduction program, and a lot of the people they refer to the mindfulness programs, they started in a UMass um, hospital, University of Massachusetts Medical School. And when they put them in these eight-week programs, and now they're all over the place, they're in, they're in schools, they're in hospitals, they're in uh, treatment centers, there's all kind of mindfulness-based stress reduction programs and mindfulness programs for relapse prevention, mindfulness for depression. But when they put people in the eight-week, the traditional eight-week mindfulness-based stress redu reduction program, the people that get sent there are people that where traditional medicine has failed them. And like you said, they could be doing all the right things, but they have this underlying thing that they haven't been able to get to, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> underlying inflammation, I think, as you called it, which is good. Mm -hmm. And so they find after eight weeks that there is a reduction, massive reduction in anxiety and depression and a massive reduction in um, their overall sense of, you know, see this pain they have in their body, like 50% reduction of pain over eight weeks. I mean, that's huge. Mm. Um, and then, they also find that people have a better sense of themselves, like they have more self-esteem, more confidence, more trust in themselves, and more resiliency and appreciation in their daily lives. So these things are amazing, and they begin to learn how to turn off the stress response so they can find peace, joy, and love, which is, you know, some, some cultures believe that's our true nature. Peace, joy, and love. And so the trauma response covers that over. It's like I always say to my clients, let's keep the windshield clean. You know, like there's enough stress in our day, but what kind of practices do you have to keep the windshield clean from all the debris that flies up on you, you know, <laughs> throughout your day? So, um, you know, we need practices to help our body stay in a calm, centered place. You know, the Catholics call it centering prayer. You know, and we have meditation practices. The mindfulness people have formal and informal mindfulness practice, which is basically meditation or a body scan where you're doing the breathing through the body. Mm -hmm. um, or you can do sitting meditation, walking meditation. Some people, you know, a lot of my clients are like, I can't sit still. Like my brain is crazy. And I said, that's exactly right. The brain is like a bunch of wild horses. You know, we have to train them to kind of get in line and focus and center the best that we can, you know, because they're going to be everywhere. That's what the brain does. It thinks, 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 you know? <laughs> so we don't want to send ourselves back into fight and flight by the stories we're telling ourselves. So, you know, what I help my clients do is say, what are the repetitive stories that you notice that you're telling yourself? And then how can we move beyond those? I love that's transpersonal psychology. Transpersonal actually means beyond the mind. Mm -hmm. And so there's a place to go beyond our stories. That's a healing space that we can access with these practices. Um, so we become able to navigate and choose where we're putting our energy versus being drug around by our own inner world. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's a, it's a self mastery of sorts, but it's possible um, with these practices. So um, the meditation practices and, you know, my clients that don't want to meditate, I'll say, well, do some kind of, they call it informal practices. So just slow down, 
you know, mm-hmm. like I think I heard you say that on one of your podcasts for eating to help with eating issues mm-hmm. to chew a lot, right? It's like right. You super slow down mm-hmm. and really pay attention to your present moment. You will learn a lot about yourself right away. And that's really hard for trauma, you know, really hard for eating disorders, really hard for people who are going through these rep- repetitive, painful things. At the same time, it's kind of like a firewalk, you know, an inner firewalk. You slow down and you begin to develop the skills necessary to calm the pattern. And eventually the mind frees up. Um, I love that saying, um, the mind is not meant for for like obsessing and worrying. It's meant for creativity and solution-focused problem solving, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do we get there? And out of the, the worry and the compulsive, repetitive thinking that we get lost mm-hmm. in. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was Einstein who said creativity is more important than knowledge. And yeah. uh, as someone who had a <laughs> tremendous amount of knowledge, but even he, he figured it out. And yeah. in this information age of the internet and social media, it's just not a, a healthy environment. Uh, for these kinds of things. So was that, uh, was it John Kabat-Zinn? Uh, yes. Uh, you mentioned, I, I like his his work at the University of Massachusetts. That's who it was that I trained with. And he, okay. he really, he really brought this stuff into the mainstream. He was one of the first ones. You know, he was mm-hmm. on the Bill Moyers show years ago, your mind, body health show. And he brought meditation and um, mindfulness into the mainstream in terms of made it a scientifically based practice for getting out of the stress response and into the relaxation response. Right. Right. So I wanted to get your, your take and your advice uh, on one particular thing. So sometimes I'm working with a patient and they're of a a particular uh, religion and uh, they don't want to meditate because they believe that it's uh, it's against their particular religious beliefs Sure. And so I try to explain to them that mindfulness meditation is a secular process. It has, it can have nothing to do with that. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about how you would approach that kind of resistance? Yes. Cause John Kabat-Zinn actually took this work and he worked with Catholic priests. He worked with the Chicago bulls on mm-hmm. teaching them mindfulness so that they're because performance enhances when you are able to be more present moment focused Mm-hmm. Because our stress is in the past and the future, right? So the more fully we can be in our present moment, which is really the definition of mindfulness without judgment, because we judge ourselves relentlessly, which creates a lot of depression and anxiety <laughs> and yeah. creates a lot of suffering, you know? Mm-hmm. So the more we can be in our present moment, the more able we are to have better performance um, in everything. So mm-hmm. he worked with, you know, professional basketball teams, like I said, all religions and inner city kids who saw a huge increase in their ability to focus and relax themselves from their dysfunctional family homes that some of them had to go back to. And the violence went down in the schools. All these things happened when they were able to learn to be more present. So, you know, I just share some science with folks like that. Mm -hmm. And I say it has nothing to do with religion. It's more about training your brain so that you can be present in your moment and really better in your relationships. You know, if they're a mom or they're a teacher or they're a a spouse, I mean, they want to be able to be present instead of off somewhere else and not in their lives. You know, we only have, our lives are just filled with beautiful moments and life is short. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, 
it's a disservice to ourselves as well when we are not able to really enjoy and be in our lives. And there's a lot of research on joy. You know, we need more joy in our lives. When With meditating and mindfulness, the brain actually increases the joy center in the brain, whereas in the frontal cortex gets more active where mm-hmm. joy lives instead of that, you know, stress response. So I think the more clients understand, they're like, I want some of that. I want some more joy. I want some more relaxation. Um, and this doesn't have anything to do with religion. It's, you know, and then even with Harvard, all the Harvard studies, you know, I think there was one on heart disease talked about even um, one point higher in positive emotion. So they had it in a scale of one to five. And if you, if you could raise your positive emotion level by one point, let's say your positive emotion level was at a two and you could raise it to a three or a four, even just to a three that you're, your heart disease risk went down 22%. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's major. Mm-hmm. It's so, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because I was just reading the other day. Uh, I think there's over, uh, at least last time I checked, I think there's over 1,600 studies on PubMed now on meditation. And wow. I was actually reading that there's a, there actually is a true, you know, broken heart syndrome. Oh, where, okay. uh, you know, if, if there's enough trauma mm-hmm. in someone's life, there's direct connections there with, with heart disease and, and dying of a heart attack. Yes. Like you just said. Yes. I've actually seen people have a massive breakup and actually end up with a heart attack and in the hospital within, you know, a month. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a true thing. <laughs> right. It's overload. Yeah. It's stress overload. They just, it, their body can't handle it. So much stress. Right. Yeah. So, so you also use something called spiritual psychology when you're mm-hmm. working with, with patients. So how would you uh, compare and contrast that to traditional therapy? Absolutely. The, I had one more thought on the last question you asked me about mm-hmm. the religion piece. You sure. know, if they are more Christian-based and Judeo-Christian, they may desire something like a centering prayer which is what they, is, is a meditation practice that is used in the Christian tradition. So that might be another way to steer folks because um, it really is all about centering the self. So I wanted to just throw that in in case there's okay. a centering client that prayer. might need that. Yeah, it's called centering prayer and it's been used uh, in, the, in the Catholic tradition for years. Mm-hmm. Um, so your question was about spiritual psychology, which is transpersonal psychology and what makes it different. I think that's what you asked. Is that correct? Yeah. How is that different from just your conventional therapy? Yes. Well, I'll give you a really creative answer and then I'll give you a more traditional answer. (laughs) But uh, uh, Spiritual psychology, uh, if you think about traditional counseling, it, what they say is it thins the clouds. It helps, you know, the, the black clouds of our lives, it helps thin the clouds. And that's a great thing. But they talk about spiritual psychology in the way of it thins the clouds, but it also brings in the sun. So mm-hmm. it, it addresses the old painful patterns, but then it focuses on what's right in the person, what is just innately right in a person, which is uh, kind of like an acorn theory that one of the spiritual psychologists that I read uh, t- calls it the acorn theory. We all have everything we need within us to create our fullest potential. And so we want to you know, thin the clouds heal the trauma and activate our fullest potential. You know, I think Maslow, Abraham Maslow, who was a psychiatrist, I mean, a psychologist called that self-actualization. Mm. You know? 
And so transpersonal psychology works on how to help self-actualize someone to where they can reach their most creative, spontaneous, natural, fullest potential. What are their gifts? What are their strengths? Who are they? Their most authentic, loving, joyful, um, wise self. And really bring that into therapy in a conscious way. And that's what I love about spiritual psychology versus traditional counseling. You know, you can do affirmations till the cows come home and you don't always integrate it into your being, you know, the positive affirmation and you're just saying it, but there's another part of you disputing it so strongly that you can't take it in. <laughs> so it's like, uh, we want to help integrate the new pattern of, let, so for an example, let's say there's um, someone who's super stressed. Let's say she's a single mom and she's got all this work on her and she's constantly saying, I never have enough time. I never have enough energy. And, and, and some pieces of that may be true because her life's very busy. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, we want to activate her truest potential, meaning is there's all the time in the world for what's important for me. And mm -hmm. I can find the time that I need and the support that I need to get the things done that are most important. And so we want to activate her joyful um, pattern versus the pattern that's um, creating more fight and flight, reactivity, stress. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Steven Pinker, he's a Harvard uh, scientist that a lot of people are probably familiar with. He recently published a book called Enlightenment Now, and it's about how actually when you look at the data, everything is getting better. So around the world, across the board, oh, poverty, wow. suffering, um, Great. The economy. I mean, just uh -huh. everything's getting better. But mm -hmm. there's one thing that, that stands out that he found, and that is uh, the amount of happiness in Americans. So everywhere else in the world, uh, people are getting happier, except for in America. We've just leveled off, you know, for a long period of time. So how do we, so how does healing old trauma get us more creative and, and increase our joy? and our peace. Cause I think that's, that could potentially be part of this, this picture that he found as well as a number of other things. But, but how would you, how would you fit that in healing trauma and uh, becoming more joyful? That's a great point. We are such a striving culture mm -hmm. and we over strive. Um, and you know, one of the mindfulness attitudes I love is about non-striving. How do you train yourself to also non-strive? <laughs> just allow, you know, what's happening to happen. That's a big shift for our culture. It's not something that's celebrated or rewarded or anything, but the rewards are the inner rewards. You know, I think that's what, you know, where we get so upside down is the inner rewards have to be as important as the outer rewards. Um, so we have to kind of look inside out instead of outside in. They even talk about that with depression, you know, and depression is about having an external locus of control, focusing on the outside, right? Mm -hmm. And we're always depressed if we look up to the outside to find our joy. Um, but if we look inside to an inner locus of control, this is just traditional counseling stuff, um, that it we will find more joy. That quality of joy is in there. And sometimes it just takes literally slowing down and resting for it to just bubble up naturally. And we're so multitasking and so over busy that we don't do that well. Like you said, the gadgets and the culture and the internet and everything that we're doing, um, there's a strength and a weakness to that. Um, I think the number one thing that decreases joy, especially in busy people, 
is multitasking. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at studies on multitasking and joy, it, multitasking tanks your joy. <laughs> it's just boom, <laughs> right down. And we have to do it sometimes, but it is not good for our joy quota. So mm-hmm. other cultures, you know, they have more, you know, and Asheville's pretty good at this, but they have more rituals and community dances and get togethers and activities that community focused um, um, base where we can be together and celebrate, but we also can have our own personal way of being focused on our inner world. And those, that combination of those two things and valuing those two things are, I think, really important for our joy so that we can get out of this overproductive, um, always having to throw some extra thing on the plate kind of mentality. Right, right. Oh, it's always about the next big thing. Yes. So, so let's talk a little bit about relationships. Uh, so one of the patterns I'll see is, uh, let's say, uh, a woman who had a, an emotionally unavailable father ends up marrying a man who is emotionally unavailable yes. as, as one example. So yes. how, does, how does unresolved trauma hurt, hurt relationships? And, and how does it hurt, hurt relationships? That's a, that's a great point. You know, we talked about earlier to the present moment awareness. When we can't be present, it's much harder to be available in our relationships. And also just the old trauma, we are, it skews our perception of what's happening in the present moment. So we're, again, reacting from a perception from the past. Mm-hmm. So as we grow, our stories need to change. And so if the story is, okay, there is like I do a projection exercise with couples where, okay, so you, the example you use, let's say, okay, they've attracted now another emotionally unavailable male into their life. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what's the truth of that? Right? Well, there's some truth to that. Right? So one, we want to get creative on how to bring out the connection more in that relationship. But two, we also want to get that woman out of her projection because mm-hmm. it's so strong. There's a piece of it that's true, but it, 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 um, it's like the drop of blood in the water, you know, it's informing everything, you know, it's just mm-hmm. taking over. And so we need to unplug her from her reactivity around that so that she can heal and bring her most present loving self into the relationship. So then that man can come out and be more emotionally available. I mean, there's a, there's a dance there happening, mm-hmm. you know, between the couple. So, um, and he may not be willing and then that might tank the relationship but there is a possibility to change that dance and that pattern. Mm-hmm. And I think if two people are willing, I see it happen. It's really cool. You know, she probably doesn't even want a whole ton, you know, and if she's too needy, then we have to work to heal that again, that old trauma mm-hmm. so that she can feel more whole in herself and then come and get those needs met and what he can offer um, and feel more quality maybe instead of quantity in terms of availability. Right. So we can, right help this guy learn to be more quality so mm-hmm. that a little bit goes a long way, even if it's not as big as strength. Right. Um, right. but there's a lot there to that pattern. So, but it's important. It's complex, but it's, a, it's good healing because we can heal in relationships. They can make things worse or better. Mm-hmm. Really? So, True. Mm-hmm. so let me get your thoughts just on, you know, anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive behavior, PTSD and healing from those. So an example would be, you know, what is the mind 
really meant to be used for instead of obsessing and overthinking. Yes. I find if there's a pattern of obsessing, they used to call it in counseling repetition compulsion. You know, we repeat things over and over and over and over and over until we can get, get the underlying issue. I remember when I first got into mindfulness training, I used to obsess when this is when I was still single about, I would be dating somebody in the room. I had this whole thing planned out and I was getting married to them and I'll, I would obsess about it. I would sit and be meditating and I would be obsessing about <laughs> this. And, um, it was, it just overtook my thoughts over and over and over. And, um, the mind is trying to help you get something, usually when that's the case, but the obsessing is, is a bit frenetic, you know, it's, it's like static. And so we want to get, be able to tune in to our center, our true nature and get beyond the static of that repetition pattern and find out what the real need is. Like I help my clients, what's the real need under that? Well, I want to feel safe and loved. And so how do we get that real need met? And so if we can get underneath that, we can find that out and then they can get their need met. I used to have this hanging on my refrigerator. What is your real need? Because we're so distracted on something else, right? We don't even know the real need of what's really going on and we're obsessing about something else. So um, I believe there's, uh, you know, the, uh, we're talking about Einstein. He said the subconscious mind is wiser than the conscious mind. Mm-hmm. So when we're obsessing in our conscious mind, we need to get somewhere else. Because there's something underneath that for us that's really trying to help us, but we don't need to be like a cat chasing our tail. The mind needs to be um, able to dive deeper and really get to um, the real need in a way. And support, you know, spiritual psychology does that. That's why I love it. It takes people right to the real need in the subconscious mind. And dreams do that. You know, if people pay attention to their dreams. There's a lot in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, it's, it's really great to be able to get to the inner world and the information in there instead of just staying in that looping of the brain, um, even though that's one symptom of the problem, but it's not really the creative solution um, mm-hmm. for the problem. So again, there's that creativity thing. We're <laughs> coming back to that. Right. So let's, uh, let's close with just a little bit more information on, on the mindfulness perspective. So what are some of the attitudes that that people need and that are important in healing from trauma? Absolutely. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, the non-striving and the letting go. You know, the, this book I recommend to almost all my clients, The Language of Letting Go by Melody Beatty. Mm. It is like the true language of letting go. How do you learn that language? Because we don't have it in our culture. We want to over-control. And trauma makes you want to over-control because you haven't had positive control. You know, there's a difference. I think there is a need for positive control, which is that creative life force within us, right? We need some control, but it it turns into something wonky when there's trauma. We get codependent or it's over control or under control and we're too passive or whatever. You know, there's something that gets out of alignment there. And so it's really good to, you know, figure that out and allow the letting go to happen. So that, and it's scary for people. They don't want to let go of their like survival skills. These things have helped them survive forever, but we want to learn to let go more and into what, what's really working. And then, um, trust, you know, I love that quote by uh, Rumi. Um, every moment, if it's really inside of you brings you what you need. I mean, could you imagine if we trusted that strongly that every moment brings us what we need? Wow. I mean, that's like, 
a big thing. Mm -hmm. So trust is another mindfulness um, attitude that we, we allow to, and we learn. Um, patience, which we want everything now. We want it all yesterday, you know, so it's like right. <laughs> patience, those wild horse that wanted it yesterday and 20 years ago. Um, and then the non-judging, which is so hard. Like you said, so many people have such a large inner critic and so perfectionistic. And we really want to allow ourselves a process for healing so that it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be, we can make progress and celebrate our progress um, and be in the process of healing versus it have to, you know, be perfect right away. It's not going to be, we're never going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so we just have to allow that non-perfection to be okay. Um, and acceptance of that um, because mm -hmm. it's messy. Life is a messy ball of messiness. You know, John Kabat-Zinn's book was called full catastrophe living um, mm -hmm. for a reason. <laughs> right. You know, and then another great attitude is beginner's mind. You know, how do we, how do we have fresh eyes to our day and trauma gets in the way of that. Mm -hmm. So the more we can heal our trauma, the more we can have fresh eyes for our day and really see things accurately, you know, keep that windshield clean. Like I was saying earlier. Right. And so you, you talked about finding that, that inner moment and getting in touch with that, but some people are so traumatized that they're just completely disconnected with their authentic self yes. and that's very difficult if not impossible for some people so yes. the work that you're doing you know will help to find that and then you also do emdr correct mm -hmm. yes okay yeah. emdr is great for trauma you know some people it's not good for but it i think the majority that i use it with it's really really good Mm -hmm. And it does really get in there and help heal that trauma and disconnect the person's nervous system from that trauma response mm -hmm. and re and repattern the new response. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. um, it does it in a different way than the spiritual psychology, but it does it in a very scientific way. Well, this has been really great. Uh, why don't you, how would you like people to find you online? And you also have an upcoming book, correct? Yes, I'm finishing that up. I'm hoping it's going to release this year. Um, it's called Ignite, Turn Off the Chaos, Turn on the Joy. It's all what we've been talking about. <laughs> so it's, right. uh, it's important to ignite that uh, authentic self, I think as you called it, that true nature, joy, love, wisdom, peace. You know, peace can be the first sign that people are recovering from trauma, that they actually feel a sense of peace. Mm -hmm. And then joy and love, they begin to feel that more. Later, you know, I have a lot of clients that say, I can't, I have a great life, but I can't feel it. Right. And right. so how do, we, how do we integrate that? So if people want to read more on that, there's, I have a joy IQ quiz um, on my website, uh, drshannonsouth.com. And, and one of my blogs is called five proven ways to raise your joy IQ. So it basically mm. uh, you can take that for free and it gives you some ways to help see where your joy IQ is and how to raise that. Fantastic. And I've got some free meditations on there, things like that. So, Okay, great. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Dr. South. I really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, for everyone listening, go to drhedberg.com, and I will have links to Dr. South's work and, and the books we talked about today and any of the resources we talked about will be there. So please check that out. 
Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy The Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode.